Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. Before we get any further, I have to tell you, we're going to give away stuff today. Of course, we always do. But we have a special giveaway tomorrow on the program, and I really would love for you to find out more about it. So I'm going to get into it right at the get-go. Our friends at the Family Research Council are having a big event here in Southern California uh, coming up a week from Thursday. And this is primarily for K-Bright radio listeners. If you listen on K-Bright AM 740 or K-Bright AM 1240 in San Diego or our FM station 103.3 in National City or FM 100.7 in Corona. This is for you because Family Research Council is holding a banquet it's the Friends of FRC Banquet that's going to be this a week from this Thursday, August 31st, 6.30 to 9 p.m. at the absolutely gorgeous Balboa Bay Resort Club, and space is very limited. Now, here's who's going to be there, and this is why you want to be a part of it. Of course, Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council, just a really great guy. Uh, Michelle Bachman, a former senator from the great state of Minnesota, excuse me, congresswoman from Minnesota. She's also the chairman of the board of Family Research Council. She's also chairman of the board of Dr. James Dobson Family Institute, which hosts the, uh, uh, which produces the Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, which I've been a part of for the past seven years. Uh, Ken Blackwell, who served as the mayor of Ohio and the secretary of state of Ohio. He's a fellow with Family Research Council. Ken's been on the program before. Uh, Lieutenant General uh, Jerry Boykin, <clears throat> retired Lieutenant uh, General Jerry Boykin, who is the Executive Vice President of Family Research Council. Big names. And if that weren't enough, last year, Stephen Curtis Chapman provided the music. This year, it's Michael W. Smith. Now, why am I mentioning this? This is a fundraising bank. But I mean, they call it Friends of FRC. And 40 years ago, Dr. James Dobson and others gathered together and started the Family Research Council. Uh, they've done fantastic work with regard to God and country issues. Our KCBC audience recognizes uh, Tony Perkins from Washington Watch that airs every weeknight on uh, KCBC. But they have, it's a fundraising event. So, I mean, you go to that banquet, everybody dresses nicely. They're at the Balboa Bay Club. They have speakers. And then they will ask you for financial support in honor of the 40th anniversary. But uh, ordinarily, you'd have to pay a lot of money for a ticket to this event. And tomorrow, on Everyone Wednesday, part of the Everyone Wednesday prize package, that's an email right now telling me we've got a prize package coming in. <laughs> Part of tomorrow's Everyone Wednesday prize package is going to be not one, not two, not three, but four, five tickets to the Family Research Council 40th anniversary banquet. And so if nothing more, think of it this way. We have four, five opportunities for you to win tickets to see Michael W. Smith and a bunch of really good speakers at the Family Research Council 40th anniversary uh, Friends of FRC banquet. Now, the number to call in is 800-227-5278, but tomorrow is the drawing. So I would ask you just to make a note of it today. And then tomorrow, when we do Everyone Wednesday, call in because that's going to be the feeding frenzy. And as has become our custom, you notice I mentioned we have five tickets. We've got two pair of tickets, one for a couple of two, one for another couple of two. And then because I know what it's like to be single, I, my sister's been single for a long time and likes to go places on her own. We have a lot of single listeners who just like to go and they don't want to have to ask somebody and go through all the headache of that. You just want to go by yourself, have a good time and leave. That's fine too. We will be giving away one single ticket to hear Michael W. Smith and see all these great speakers and hear them too, Tony Perkins, Michelle Bachman, et cetera, at the Friends of Family Research Council's 40th anniversary gathering. 
That's happening Thursday, August 31st. That's a week from this Thursday night at the Balboa Bay Resort here, right here in uh, South Orange County. So uh, just make a note of that. And then tomorrow, when we do Everyone Wednesday, make sure you tune in. And as soon as we open up the phones at 3 p.m. Pacific, you can start calling in and get your name on the list for uh, either of the pair of tickets that we're giving away or the one single ticket that we're giving away to the FRC 40th anniversary banquet. That happens. The giveaways tomorrow. The event is Thursday, August 31st. <clears throat> and the number, of course, to call is 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 which is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, today here on Super Tuesday, I want to start off the broadcast by uh giving a little shout out to our friends at, uh, well, <laughs> giving a front, our shout out to our friends at lifenews.com uh, because Life News is a great organization that focuses on and specializes in um, letting you know and letting us know what's happening in the world of the sanctity of human life. And what's going on right now is very, very interesting because the uh, folks at Planned Parenthood have released their annual report for the year. And that's why they call it an annual report. And in the report for fiscal 2021-2022, uh, Planned Parenthood reports, they admit to taking the lives of 374,155 preborn children every day through abortion. Now, what's incredible is this is the organization that says, we provide necessary abortion care for women. That they could even use those two words in the same sentence. It's kind of like gender affirming care rather than saying we'll mutilate your son and turn him into a eunuch thinking he's going to be a girl. And again, I hope that doesn't sound too flippant. It's just what happens. Planned Parenthood is the largest provider of abortions in the country. They've been doing this for over 100 years. They do about 40% of the abortions that take place in the U.S. every year, and that's the abortions that we know of. They're constantly playing this game of cat and mouse, where abortion used to be understood as a surgical abortion. Then they started using abortion pills, and we've got an update on the abortion pill coming up in the uh, last half hour of the program today, a, a great court ruling from our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom regarding that. But basically what Planned Parenthood does is they kill children, in the womb, they provide birth control, contraception, they ostensibly provide medical care for women, and now they've moved into transgenderism, as in they are providing cross-sex hormone treatment for people who want to change their gender. Now again, I ask you, and I ask you sincerely and with no malice, how does providing cross-sex hormone reassignment hormonal treatment to a person, prepare them for parenthood. If you're an adoptive parent, obviously, you know, you don't have to carry a child biologically to become a parent. But in the case of the transgender ideology, there's a lot of lies and misconceptions happening. I'm not even a scientist and even I can figure out men cannot get pregnant. A so-called quote unquote man who is pregnant is a man with a womb, ergo a woman, woman who took testosterone and grew a beard, got his hair, you know, had his breast removed. Now, Planned Parenthood will look at places like preborn, 
and say, well, they're not licensed with the state. They're not authorized to do this. And they, they spread misinformation and hate and lies, and they deny women access to health care. But here's what a preborn clinic does compared to Planned Parenthood. At Planned Parenthood, they'll say, hey, you know, abortion is one or two percent of what we do. It's not really everything that we do. We do adoption referrals. We do pap smears. We do mammograms. Okay, well, they don't do mammograms. They refer for mammograms. They do the occasional pap smear. But if you look at the annual report, which we're posting at thebottomlineshow.com, the number of medical services that they provide in that vein are down about 25 percent over the past couple of years. They do distribute a lot of birth control pills and they distribute abortion. They call it emergency contraception, which is basically the abortion pill. Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics now do more than half of their abortions by pill form. They call that contraception. They don't call it abortion. It might lead to an abortion because they seem to think that you could stop time once a baby's been conceived and prevent the conception that already happened from happening. But this is the, the big kick in the teeth from Planned Parenthood, and it's the number of abortions compared to the number of adoptions. You know, we talk about when you go to a preborn clinic, you get a pregnancy test, they do the ultrasound, they take the pictures, $28 donation covers that, so the mom didn't have to pay for it. Or a $280 donation covers 10, or a $15,000 donation puts in another ultrasound machine at another preborn clinic. When mom and hopefully dad are in the appointment, the doctor will tell mom how far along she is and then explain her three options. The obvious option is you're carrying a baby, you're going to be a mother. The second option is in a state like the People's Republic of California or the uh, USS Colorado uh, (laughs) that are listening right now, you can abort the child legally. Third option is adoption. And all the abortion, adoption. We, we, we offer adoption services too. Do they now? Last year, fiscal 2021-22, Planned Parenthood acknowledged killing 375,000 preborn children. Do you know how many adoption referrals they did? 1,803. Now, what that means is that for every adoption referral, Planned Parenthood killed 207 children. The success rate for a child living through a pregnancy who's been to a preborn clinic is 85% and climbing. Now that means that some women go to preborn, go through the whole thing and they look and say, you know what? I still think I want an abortion. And then there's follow-up counseling once they have emotional grief and calamity. But 10 years ago, Planned Parenthood said they were seeing 3 million clients annually and 10% of them got abortions. Over the past two years, they acknowledged seeing over 2 million clients. And now, if you just do the numbers that they report, one out of every five women who goes to a Planned Parenthood goes for an abortion. That's 20% of their business, not three. Add to the fact that their numbers are kind of funky when it comes to how they calculate the number of quote-unquote clients they have, because if a woman goes for birth control pills, she is then counted as 12 different women because they count each month's supply as one client served even though she'll get the entire year's supply up front, from what I'm told. So the lies of Planned Parenthood continue. And I can assure you that the lies of Planned Parenthood were not what the founding fathers had in mind when this country was founded. As a matter of fact, you ever wondered what the founding fathers might think if they did wander into the U.S. right now? Uh, Judge Mark Boonstra 
is a circuit court judge in the great state of Michigan. And he has written a book, actually a three-volume set, focusing on the title, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think of the God-Less America Our Nation Has Become? We've got a link for all three volumes up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll be giving them all away today here on Super Tuesday. Judge Mark Boonstra joins me next for a fascinating conversation. It's coming up around the corner as The Bottom Line continues. The Fed is not going to leave things the way they are. The Fed is going to start leveling off and then lowering down some in the next 12 to 18 months. So for you to have an account that's going to pay you 6% right now and guarantee that for the next three years, it is way better than the 4% for six months or the 5% for six months. So it's one of those things where it's not for every situation, but for every situation that it is for, it fits like a glove. And I know that's a play on words, but what we mean there is, is that if you have money in an account that's earning nothing, and you want to change that into to charitable work, you can do it. If you have money that's earning nothing in a pension plan and you want to help grow your pension plan without risk, you can do it. If you want to take it out of the bank and just provide you with additional income, <laughs> then you can do it. And we have we have dozens of clients on all of those different ladders that we just described. And so if that describes you, give us a call and we'll get you the free information. Call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And here we are having a conversation about yet another round of indictments, another it just it, it getting more frustrating for people here in the States all the time, especially people of faith who seem to be wondering why we have a couple of different levels of justice as opposed to liberty and justice for all. And joining me today here on the program is a guy who first came became aware of his work through an article that he had published in Newsmax about how the founding fathers wouldn't think too much of our two-tiered justice system. Uh, joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show is Mark Boonstra. The Honorable Judge Mark Boonstra is the author of a great book called In Their Own Words, Volume 1, The New England Colonies, Today's Godless America, and What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Judge Mark Boonstra, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. Great to be here. You've spent the last decade serving as a judge in the Michigan Court of Appeals back since, since 2012, and then in 2015 to 17, concurrently serving as a judge of the Michigan Court of Claims, uh, where trial court matters over which we presided caused uh, uh, cases that came up out of the Flint water crisis. I mean, you're no stranger to that type of controversy. It's an honor to talk to somebody, Your Honor, who <laughs> spends time on the bench. What what have you seen? What, what, how, how long has this progression been coming up? It seems like like all of a sudden we woke up one day and there's a two-tier justice system, but obviously it's been kind of a slow creep, hasn't it? Uh, I suppose it's been a slow creep, but things seem to be moving exponentially faster in every facet of our lives, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, things that uh, you know would have been unthinkable just a few years ago, now you're a radical if you're not on board and they want to stifle you uh, from speaking or thinking anything that isn't in line with that. It's kind of shocking to me how how fast things are moving in this country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You were elected or were you appointed? I mean, some judges are you know, one or the other. Yeah. So in Michigan, if there is a vacancy on a court, then it is filled by appointment by our governor. Mm -hmm. And that is how I initially came to the court in 2012. After that, you then stand for election. And I've stood three times now, 2014, 2020, uh, and, uh, and 2012, also the end of 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm serving now until 20, 26, I'll have to run again. 
Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that in addition to being appointed, you've also been elected. I mean, not that the appointment is any better or worse, but the idea that uh, the people in your area uh, understand a good, godly, uh, constitutionally based judge when they see one. And I think that's very, very helpful because it seems like the activism side of judicial, you know, so-called jurisprudence uh, seems to be taking over in certain areas. Help, help us understand foundationally what the founders were I ideally setting forward and how we have veered way off course here in 2023? Well, the founders spoke of equality for all, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And they spoke of our God-given rights, our rights coming from God as opposed to to, to coming from government. And as a consequence, the government can't either give them or take them away. That means we're all equal. And you find that theme throughout our founding documents and throughout the words of our founding fathers, not sure that's quite so true anymore. And as I say in the book, I think they'd be rolling over in their graves at lots of aspects of modern day society. But that's probably one of them. I'm afraid we're becoming exactly what they rebelled against back mm-hmm. in 1776. That's really tragic. Uh, Judge Mark Boonstra is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We have a link for his book, In Their Own Words, Volume 1, The New England Colonies, Today's God Bless America, up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as we ask the question, what would our founding fathers think? Talk about the New England colonies compared to where we are right now. I mean, as we talk about the the foundation, I know a lot of people would say, okay, well, you're doing something I don't like, therefore it's quote unquote unconstitutional. And you and I both know that's not always the case. That just seems to be the fallback. But when we think about our founding, when we think about, I mean, even when I think of New England today, I don't think anybody could get a fair trial in New England. I mean, that's what it seems like to me based on how radical some of the opinions are coming from the bench. How is New England today so different from New England at America's founding? Yeah. So just to be clear, there's three volumes to the book, actually. Mm -hmm. Volume one is the New England colonies. Volume two is the middle colonies. And volume three is the southern colonies. Okay. And what I've done in those three volumes is I've covered all 118 men who signed either our Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, or the United States Constitution, or some combination of them. And two people signed all three. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've given information about each of them biographically focused on their religious lives and beliefs and uh, and in their own words, hence the title of the book. I, I thought it important that people see what these men said in their own words about religion and its place in our society. Mm-hmm. And then in each chapter, I contrast it with one example from modern day America, something that's gone on in the last few years. And I simply pose the question for the reader to answer for themselves once they learn about this person, what would he think of this event in modern day America, or more generally, uh, where we are today in America. And I I hope it'll get people thinking and debating and, and perhaps writing the ship from the drift we've taken, I think, uh, over over many years now from what we were intended to be as a country. Judge Mark, um, New, Eng- go ahead, New, New England, you asked about New England. Uh, yes. I, mean, uh, I mean, if people look back and look look where we are in, in the world today you can't speak of god in the schools in the public schools at least you can't have a bible in the schools these men all talked about how fundamental religion and morality was to our society and to our government um the first public school in america was the boston latin school mm. and many of these founders attended that school from benjamin franklin to many others 
Um, and for much of that time, not when Franklin was there, it was headed by Reverend Nathaniel Hay uh, Williams at the time, but many of them studied under, under a headmaster, um, John Lovell, whose sole criterion for admission into that first public school was the ability to read verses from the Bible. Hmm. Imagine that today, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, now, you know, Harvard has an atheist who is the head of its chaplains. Uh, it was founded, though, as a Puritan institution. So mm -hmm. many mm -hmm. of those Ivy League schools and other uh, well-established schools in our in our country were founded by re as religious institutions for the purpose of training ministers. And you they would be unrecognizable today to our founders. And many of those are in the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, Judge Mark Boonstra is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The trilogy of books that are uh, under the heading In Their Own Words is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com and talking about New England, talking about the Southern colonies. You know, it's interesting, as you were describing uh, New England's religious heritage, uh, Judge Boonstra, and the fact that um, nowadays it seems like it's gone completely in the opposite direction. Um, in your time on the bench, are there cases? I mean, I I've, I've always wondered this because... We look at a guy like, say, Donald Trump, for example, who was not a terribly popular president for some people, extremely popular for others. But love him or hate him, the guy used religious liberty as kind of his guiding North Star, especially when it came to foreign policy and things of that nature. The thing I've always loved about religious liberty in the U.S. is the fact that it's kind of, well, <laughs> this may sound kind of, I'm not trying to be clever. It's irreligious in its religiosity, if that makes any sense. And it sounds to me like that's what the founders intended. Were they all great, good, God-loving men who signed this document, or were they people who understood that if we all have religious liberty, then we all really have freedom? Yeah, well, certainly there was a, a debate amongst them about those things. In the beginning, when they came here freeing religious oppression where they came from, many of them did, they, they sort of brought along what they knew, and they established churches in their own colonies. Um, Massachusetts, we talk about the North uh, New England, Massachusetts was founded as a congregational colony. Hmm. Virginia was founded as an Anglican or today Episcopalian colony. And eventually they decided to do away with that when they adopted the First Amendment. We would have no single established church and there would be free exercise of religion for all. And Jefferson was perhaps one of the biggest proponents of, of the free exercise of religion. And it became the First Amendment. To a man, really, these were Christian men. And if you look at their, if you look at their writings, what they said in speeches and uh, even diary entries and proclamations that they issued, they all spoke about the importance and the fundamental nature of religion to our society and to our government. Certainly there were differences. Some of them would have established a Protestant religion, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and there were times when you know, certain denominations were sort of persecuted under the law or weren't Catholics weren't allowed to hold office, those sorts of things. Um, and that's sort of where this idea of separation of church and state came from, uh, which we hear about so much, but which frankly is nowhere to be found in our founding documents. Mm. But it's it's greatly misunderstood these days, I think, because of the, the modern day conception that uh, that that what it means is that we don't have religion in this country or that we can't have religion in the schools or in the public square. That's not what was it what it was intended to do. And Jefferson, who was perhaps, you know, some some would say one of the more secular of uh, of our founders, but nonetheless right. was 
was very religious in his own way and very Christian in his own way, a very much a follower of Jesus Christ and his teachings. Um, he coined the phrase when he received a letter from a group in Connecticut, the Danbury Baptists, who were concerned about whether they would be able to practice their religion as they saw fit. And he wrote to them. And the full text of that letter is in volume three, where the Virginia signers are, uh, and said, yes, of course, you will be able to exercise your religion as you see fit. There's a wall of separation of church and state. But what it meant and what he meant was not that we needed to protect the state from religion, but that religion was protected from interference by the state. That's what the wall of separation of church and state yes. was intended to be. Yes, boy, that's a very well-stated uh, expression there, an exhortation from Judge Mark Boonstra today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about his, trini his trilogy of books, a great trinity, in fact, called In Their Own Words, uh, Today's Godless America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think?, focusing on the New England colonies, Southern, and others. We've got a link for all three of these books up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We have reached the midpoint of our conversation with Judge Mark Boonstra today here on the program. We're talking about his fascinating three-book trilogy called In Their Own Words, uh, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think About the God-Less America That We've Become? And in Volume 1, he focuses on the New England colonies. In Volume 2, he focuses on the Middle American colonies. And on Volume 3, the Southern colonies. All three of these books are up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got a copy of each volume that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the Judge Mark Boonstra trilogy is up and available for giveaway in their own words, uh, what would our founding fathers think about today's Godless America? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, let's get back into part two of this fascinating discussion as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. We're talking about his, his trilogy of books, a great trinity, in fact, here on The Bottom Line, called In Their Own Words, uh, Today's Godless America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? Focusing on the New England colonies, Southern, and others. We've got a link for all three of these books up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Judge Boonstra, as we've been having this conversation about that, and I'm so glad you delineated between the separation of church and state and how the the leftist progressive mindset here in the United States says, okay, well, that means Christians can't do anything that even touches something that belongs to the government. 
but it's the government's job to step in and put our nose, you know, the camel's nose under the proverbial tent to get in and try to run over everything that is uh, religious. We're seeing this more and more happening in what you identify in the Newsmax article, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com, about the two-tiered system of justice. There are those who would say, well, yeah, if you grew up African-American in the South in the 1940s and 50s, you know exactly what that's all about. But more and more now, it seems like it, you're, we're seeing uh, far more examples of this happening on a national level, even right now in terms of one of the leading candidates for president of the United States. Talk about what you mean by this two-tier, and is there a solution I mean, to this short of electing godly, constitutionally based judges and politicians and things of that nature, how do we, the people, turn this thing around? Yeah, well, a lot of it is at the ballot box. Yeah, uh, a lot of it, I think, is um, uh, you know we we're in dangerous times. I think right now, to be honest with you, and I say mm -hmm. in my, in the introduction to volume three uh, that I, I agree with President Biden. We are in a battle for the soul of this nation. Where I don't think I would agree with him is who's on what side of that battle. Yes. yes um, and, but but I do think we're in that kind of a battle. And I think it's 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 a time when we are facing intimidation and coercion and threats if we so much as speak up or think uh, something that isn't line isn't in line with the prevailing orthodoxy right now, which frankly is on the fringe. The prevailing orthodoxy is the fringe but they are trying to intimidate the rest of us. And as difficult as it is, I think we just cannot collectively and individually stand up, stand for that. I think we have to stand up and say, no, we're not gonna let you do this to our country. Our country was founded to be something different from anything in this that existed in this world before. A, a country that was founded based on God-given rights and the centrality and fundamental Amen. nature of religion and religious and and at the time exclusively Christian principles, um, but but really, I mean, some of my biggest supporters are are Jewish folks, Jewish friends of mine, and and I think the reason is it's the entire Judeo Christian value system, and in my judgment, is under assault in America right now, mm -hmm. and we share that with our Jewish friends, and I think we all have to stand up and say, no, we're not going to let you do this to our country. We're gonna we're gonna force our country back to what it was intended to be and, and, and focus again for our kids and grandkids sake on, on the first and fundamental principles that, that were the basis of this country. Isn't it refreshing to hear a judge like Mark Boonstra share that from his heart about his faith, about the Constitution, about uh, what's happening to America? He writes about in his trilogy of books called In Their Own Words, uh, Today's God Less America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? The idea that uh, we as a nation have lost our way because we've lost God. And uh, I, I commend these books to you as a bottom line show listener simply because of the fact that Judge Boonstra is speaking passionately uh, from a faith perspective, from a constitutional perspective. And I think it's important to, to delineate something, Judge, and I was wondering if you would uh, kind of expand upon this a little bit. There are a lot of people who really bought into the Make America Great Again campaign about six, seven years ago. And, and it led to, I thought, some rather healthy questioning as, as to, okay, if we're going to hit the reset button, where is that place in American history where we could reset it and say everything was right? I like to think in terms of you know moving forward as we write the ship. But I think it's important to understand that when we talk about 
our nation and the fact that our rights come from our, we are certain inalienable rights endowed by our creator. We are acknowledging that we don't make up rights and rules and laws uh, and privileges in the Congress. We actually recognize what God has already endowed to us. But I think it's safe to say America in 2023 is a far cry from America in 1776 or 1787. Help us understand why it's important to recognize that before we start trying to repair the damage that Godless America has endured. Well, I think we learn from history, right? And uh, and, and I think and and that's and that's why it's important to teach history. And I'm afraid that our kids aren't being taught the truth of history. Mm. But, but I don't know that you can you can progress as a people, as a country, without understanding your history and where you came from and learning from it in, in, in its good aspects and bad aspects. I mean, where where it was wrong, these men weren't perfect. Uh, you know, there's no perfect man that's ever walked the earth except Jesus Christ, as far as I know. Amen. Um, so, so, so I can't, you know, it's not that there was never a flaw in our history, but but there were certain fundamental things uh, and, and the importance of religion and religious principles was among them in the founding of this country. And that I think is something that we should not lose. And if there was something, if there was, if there was, a, if there was a black mark in history, then we learn from it and we do better in the future, but we don't uh, simply disparage them uh, for everything they stood for simply because something wrong was wrong in the past. I mean, people bring up slavery, and slavery certainly was a black eye. But our founders didn't really bring slavery here. It came from elsewhere. I mean, they didn't create it. It came from right. elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, there were even African tribes who participated in that horrendous institution. And it was a horrendous institution. But it's, it has existed since the beginning of time. It existed in it, and the Israelites were in bondage for how many years in Egypt? Sometimes sure. it's race-based. Sometimes it's based on human, human trafficking that takes place today. It's terrible in whatever form it takes. But what I would suggest to you, although that's a black eye in American history, we learn from it. And I think what we need to appreciate in that respect, I would submit to you that it is the principles that our founders based this country on, of equality for all, God-given rights, that is what enabled us over time. It doesn't happen overnight, but over time, that is what enabled us as a country to overcome that institution and progress to where we are today, which is maybe not perfect, but much better than it was at one time. Yeah, I love the idea of America as being kind of a living organism as opposed to just kind of a static set of rules and buildings and uh, institutions. And, but the and not that we're saying that the Constitution is alive and should be interpreted differently by every generation. We do have those foundational truths. But moving forward, especially as we the people are, when you see the evolution of how the founder said this is these are rights that are established because God said so, not because mankind said so. And to see the way we've been able to course correct over the past 246, 47 years, it really is truly remarkable. Uh, Judge Mark Boonstra is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The trilogy is called In Their Own Words, Today's Godless America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? We have a link for all three books up at thebottomlineshow.com. Judge Boonstra, we've got about 60 seconds left in our time together. Uh, give us your best exhortation for 
why you have hope. I mean, you have published these books. I mean, they are massive volumes. There's a lot of writing that went into this and a lot of research, of course, but also a lot of heart along with the blood, sweat, and tears. Um, what is your hope for these volumes and what can we be doing now, especially since you mentioned one of the ways we do affect change is at the ballot box and we've got another shot to do that next year. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, uh, you mentioned the the girth of these books. It, it really wasn't what I intended. I set out to write a book. It was on my heart to do this, uh -huh. um, and, and it turned out to be a much bigger project than I anticipated. And I had to split it into the three volumes. Um, it's comprehensive, but yet it's bite sized. Each chapter is easily manageable and 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 read in whatever order you want to read them. But you know, it's it's easy to get down these days. I think and think that all is lost. I guess I'm I'm I would like to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and what I had hoped to do, and what I hope this will help to do, is to provide people with honest, truthful, factual information about our founding and our founding fathers and the principles that led to this the founding of this great country, and uh, give people you know, a basis, an informational basis on which to understand, to educate themselves, and to begin a dialogue. I guess I'm hopeful that that if people begin to have a, and that's what we don't do too much in America anymore, is talk to each other. We talk past right. each other. Right. Even our congressmen and senators don't talk to each other anymore, right? right? But I think we need to have a dialogue and a debate about this. And I guess I'd like to be hopeful that if people stand up and educate themselves and are willing to voice their opinions and 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 voice uh, uh, you know uh, uh, agreement with the idea that we need to right the ship and get back to our foundational principles uh, that there's still hope for this country and that we can actually right the ship over time. I think that it's I'm very hopeful and I have a lot more hope now that you and I have had this conversation Judge Boonstra than than I was before we met so I'm very grateful that we had the time together today to discuss it Judge Mark Boonstra the author of the uh three volume set in their own words today's God less America what would our founding fathers think we've got links for all three books up at the bottomlineshow.com in addition to his latest op-ed for newsmax.com Judge Boonstra thank you for the work that you're doing on the Michigan bench but also thanks for being with us today here on the Bottom Line Show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Roger. And thank you for the work that you're doing as well. What a great dialogue. And I just scratched the surface on these books too. Uh, Mark Boonstra, Judge Mark Boonstra has been my guest today here on the program. The trilogy is called In Their Own Words. Volume one focuses on the New England colonies, volume two on the middle American colonies and volume three on the Southern colonies. Today's God Less America, what would our founding fathers think? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're giving away a copy. I think we have the full set. So we were giving away all three, one, two, three. So you got three opportunities to win. Great history lessons here, and especially written by a guy who knows what it's like to be appointed as a justice and then to uh, be elected and go through that whole process and to be a man of faith and values sitting on a court in Michigan of all places, and we like to have a, a bit of sport with that whole Michigander type of issue with our good friend Bob Duco, of course, who's the, uh, the host of uh, the uh, Bob Duco show on WMUZ in Detroit. And uh, Bob is a, uh, he's a good sport. But all of us, matter of fact, Neil Boron, uh, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, John Rush, all of us are conservative, constitutional-loving Christian men who broadcast our shows from the People's Republic states, 
the blue states of New York, Michigan, Colorado, and California, respectively. So it's nice to have guys like Judge Mark Boonstra, who knows what it's like to be that conservative voice, especially on the courts, and all the more reason for us as Christians to, to consider running for office. I highly recommend, if you're thinking about it, that you answer that, uh, answer that nudge and go for it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. And as we continue, uh, going to get into uh, a court decision that I, I believe is of great value uh, to us as Christians regarding something, an end around that the White House attempted to do. Also, from our Go Woke, Gro- Go Broke file, how one state here on the left coast actually is experiencing massive loss of revenue and of people, human capital too, simply because of their position of being woke during the past three, four years and how many billions of dollars it's costing them to uh, kind of try to recover from their political correctness. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to Judge Mark Boonstra today here on The Bottom Line, his three-book trilogy, on what the founding fathers would think of Godless America is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we've got copies of all three of those books to give away. So we're going to have three winners today here on Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I'll tell you, if you are a teacher, if you're an educator, if you're run a Sunday school class, maybe a youth group, Boy, this would be really, I'd love to see this happen in elementary schools, in middle schools, in high schools. If you are that Bible study teacher, why not take a look at America's Christian heritage? I mean, look at what the the nation, the United States of America, uh, really entails. A lot of people just say, we're a Christian nation, therefore I get to do whatever I want to because I'm a Christian and the church. Without saying, wait a minute, I mean, look at what America was doing leading up to July 4th, 1776 and to 1787 and 1789 and see where we were. And so for uh, the those who wanted to form a more perfect union, getting together here, with, realizing that there had been the shedding of blood, there had been the running over of certain people. Um, it, we miss a lot of American history if we run past that. Now, bear in mind, uh, there are those on the pro- uh, totalitarian progressive left who would like us to believe that when uh, Columbus et al. and his crew and all the different discoverers of North America wound up here, there were Indians laughing, playing, joking, running freely, having free exchange of ideas, smoking peace pipes. I mean, the idea is it was kind of a savage settlement that was here. And there may have been Norsemen, Leif Erikson and company, long before the Native Americans wound up coming here. But nonetheless, the idea that a Christian nation was to be established, first and foremost, would tell me, well, what you probably wanted to do is have some kind of consensus or, you know, not just military might that came in and ran people over. But North America was a crazy business. I mean, the French owned, remember the Louisiana Purchase? That was all owned by France, you know, and Spain had claims and uh, England had claims and French had had claims up in Canada as well. So the idea that uh, it was just this one big perfect kumbaya and the Americans came and ran it over isn't accurate at all. But at the same time, when we established the so-called Christian nation, we also set into motion some rules and laws that didn't square with certain people's religions. And also the big black eye, of course, was not that the U.S. invented slavery, not that the U.S. was doing slavery all by themselves. I mean, when you think about the argument that a lot of people on the left have against you know, the U.S. and slavery, 
it kind of sounds like Jelaine Maxwell and the Epstein client book. You know, she's sentenced to 20 years in prison for trafficking children. Okay, to whom? Who are the kids? I mean, they're adults now, but where are they? I mean, the idea that there was slavery in the United States openly and, you know, perversely being displayed, you miss the point if you don't put the African connection. It's not like the slaves just grew up out of the ground. You had European slave traders, you had African slave traders. There was slavery all over the world. The U.S. slave trade was a small part of it. It's a black eye. It's a real stain on a country that says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness when 20% of the population was enslaved when we started. But when you look at racial tensions that are, have been brewing for the past, I don't know, a couple hundred years and really came to a head in 2020, you have to at least take a step back and say, okay, I can understand why some people are upset to see four white police officers or three white guys and a Hispanic or I don't know what the ethnic makeup was, but Derek Chauvin, the guy who had his knee on George Floyd's neck, it was a white guy ostensibly suffocating a black guy to death. Now, there were a lot of other extemporaneous circumstances that may have led to his death, but uh, it was ruled a murder and Derek Chauvin's in prison. But that set off a firestorm of then there's the Ahmed Aubrey case. And before that, there was the Breonna Taylor case. And, and you have to understand, as much as we would like to believe that the media is always telling us the truth, the media is giving us a narrative. In the case of Breonna Taylor, she didn't just move in with her grandma to take care of her without any sort of baggage that came along with her. She had been dating a guy who was a drug dealer. She broke up with him and was dating another guy who was a drug dealer. New guy was at the house and cops came looking for him. She did get hit by a stray bullet and they have changed the Kentucky no-knock entry law to get rid of no-knock warrants. But there was a lot of baggage that came along with that that was never reported in the case. And then a group like Black Lives Matter shows up and starts fundraising on her legacy. And even her own family's like, who are you? Black Lives Matter, we've never met, but you're using her image everywhere to fundraise for your cause and you're not doing anything to change legislation. That's wrong. And then there's what happened in Oregon. And again, refresh my memory, if you can. The reason people were all over Multnomah County in Portland, Oregon and rioting and picketing was because of what? I mean, I, I remember the Chaz thing in Seattle and but but who was hurt in Portland? Ahmed Aubrey was in Georgia, George Floyd was in Minnesota, um, Brianna Taylor was in Kentucky. What happened in Portland again that led Antifa to show up and basically shut the town down for an entire summer? Well, interesting. Oregon Live is a data analysis group. And they took a look at the residents of Multnomah County and particularly Portland, Oregon, because Portland is in Multnomah County. To take a look at how many people were still there. I mean, or Portland, Oregon is a major city. I think it's in the in the media world. It's in, definitely in the top 20 in markets of area of direct influence. It's a good market to be in if you're on radio and television. That means there's a lot of people there. Up until 2020, Portland, Oregon was a place that was growing and thriving. It really was kind of a lefty nirvana. Uh, my brother and his wife uh, took a pastoral call in a town called Milwaukee, which is just outside of the... Uh, Multnomah County lines. He tells people I live in Portland, but basically it's officially Milwaukee and it's spelled differently than the Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And they've lived there. They love it. I mean, they've been there for 10 years. They say it's great to get basically get all the benefits of Portland with only half the property taxes of Multnomah County. They think it's wonderful. But 
apparently even they are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is kind of they lean a little more liberal and left. And um, they, even there said, hey, wait, a lot of these protesters, this is back in the summer of 2020 and 2021. They said a lot of these protesters, we, they, they aren't from around here. They're coming in all over the place. And all of a sudden now there's this homeless crisis that's spiraling out of control. So how did that impact the economy? Meaning how many people are still in Portland and how many people left? Because what used to be this really beautiful nirvana with fun places like Voodoo Donuts, and which I don't like the name, but I love their donuts, um, and Moreland Presbyterian Church, where my brother's a senior pastor. Um, at the same time, when the pandemic hit, and then of course the riots broke out, and then the violence happened, and the con- who was it? The conservative gay journalist Andy No got attacked at uh, a rally, and he got hit in the head with uh, with that newfangled Molotov cocktail thing where they take quick drying cement, put it in a cup of Starbucks coffee, let it harden, and then throw it. It just looks like trash coming at you until it hits you in the face. And when he called out Antifa for doing what they did, the left basically blackballed him a gay writer who was of great prominence. Now he's a strong voice for conservative ideas saying, hey, Portland is a nightmare here. But how bad is it? And why is this something that uh, woke ideologies, uh, this is where sometimes the Constitution gets misused. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, Judge Mark Boonstra, who sits on the bench in Michigan, a circuit court judge there, has written a three-volume trilogy on uh, what our founding fathers would think about today's Godless America. We've got a copy of each volume in the trilogy. We're giving them away individually, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Portland, Oregon is one of the 15th largest city in America. And from 2020 to the end of 2021, they lost nearly 15,000 tax filers. That doesn't sound like a lot, but this is the city that they had, they were tied for sixth in most residents leaving a city in the United States. They did so because of homelessness. They did so because of violence. And when they left, they took a lot of stuff with them. 
the average income of the people who were leaving Portland, Oregon was 14% higher than the people who left the previous year. You know, people move in and out of cities all the time. But Portland, prior to 2020, had experienced 15 consecutive years of growth. It was kind of a hippie paradise. And then 2020 and 2021 hit, nearly 15,000 Oregonians left the city of Portland and took with them, are you ready? One billion, with a B, dollars of income with them as well. Now, you know what that means. That means, hey, wait, these people are making a billion dollars worth of income. They're paying state income tax on that. They're using that money to buy groceries and homes and cars and gasoline and donuts and all whatever else that they buy. They're tithing to churches. They're giving to local charitable organizations. Not anymore. <laughs> They're leaving Portland in droves. And the reason, quite frankly, is that people are tired of looking at what they call a war zone. Uh, Portland business owner Catherine Seeley was interviewed by Fox News Digital, and she said, our city is in peril. Small businesses, as well as large, can't sustain doing business in the city's current state. The reason is we have no protection and no recourse against the criminal behavior that goes along unpunished. This may be the most telling statistic. Uh, when it comes to the homeless living in Portland. Mayor Ted Wheeler reports that Portland experienced a 50% increase in homelessness from 2019 to 2022. I can assure you, brothers and sisters, no one moves to Portland, Oregon because of the weather. I mean, when you're getting 200 to 250 days a year of rainfall, no one who is homeless is moving to Portland because of the weather. They're coming to California because there are fewer cold days and you can actually live outdoors. But I'll say it again. No one is moving to Portland who is potentially homeless because of the weather and the benefits. 50% increase in homelessness in Portland, Oregon over the past four years and nearly $1 billion dollars in personal revenue and therefore spending gone from the 15th largest city in the country because of woke ideologies. What would our founding fathers say? They'd say, let the market decide, let the buyer beware, and let the citizen have access to free speech and free freedom of assembly and freedom of religion. That is the bottom line indeed. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, we're going to take a look at a, uh, a court case that involves our friends at Family Research Council that you may not have heard about, but I think it's important for us to understand, especially as it pertains to the sanctity of human life, standing up for that life in the courts, and why your support of pro-life organizations and the legal teams that fight for them is more important now than ever before. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show or welcome to The Bottom Line Show. If you're just joining us, I'm Roger Marsh and it's good to have you along for the ride today. Boy, if you're just tuning in, I really encourage you to go to thebottomlineshow.com or sign up to start receiving our podcast of this program. Uh, my conversation in the last half hour with Judge Mark Boonstra uh, with regards to what the founding fathers would think about uh, um, the American system today, um, in their own words, is the name of the book, uh, Today's Godless America, What Would Our Founding Fathers Think? Uh, volume one, focusing on the New England colonies, volume two on middle American colonies, and volume three on the Southern colonies. 
And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at this, there are a lot of people would say, okay, yeah, Roger, sure, you're going to give us the Christian nation and a constitution speech, but you got to see it from my perspective. Oh, I can see it from a lot of different perspectives that I think a lot of Christians would be wise to take into consideration. Obviously, there is the role of the Native American in the American story. You know, those who were here and uh, kind of got knocked over in, by Europeans in the way to making, on the way to making America what America is today. But, and obviously America was not a Christian nation per se when the founding fathers decided to make it one. They said, hey, look, what if we start this American experiment and we start on the premise that everybody's created equal. We are all endowed with certain inalienable rights from our creator, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What if we use that, you know, the government of, for, and by the people, you know, that whole bit. And without getting into Lincoln stuff, kind of, kind of morphing the two into, you know, the Declaration of Independence of the Constitution and the Gettysburg Address. But you get the idea. And, and I think a more accurate timeline, if we're going to look at U.S. history, is to say, look, when did the first people show up in North America? Many would say they were the, for lack of a better, the Vikings, the Norsemen who landed in the Leif Erikson world somewhere around the 11th century and mostly in Canada, but kind of infiltrated their way into uh what is now the United States. I mean, let's not forget that there were what we would call Native Americans, Native North Americans in Canada, as well as in what is now the United States. And there was more of a Spanish component in Mexico. And, you know, th that was there. And then again, these people were, I mean, they were netherworldly in terms of their worshiping of gods. And there was a lot of savagery that went on. So the idea that some people have, it's like, well, bad Europeans came in and the Indians were all getting along peacefully. It's like, well, the Indians were savages. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the idea that it was all kumbaya and smoke and peace pipe stuff, which I know sounds like those are all cliches, um, it, not quite entirely true. And then the idea that the, you know, the pale face came to the United States, for lack of a better phrase, I'm just all politically incorrect today. Um, and, and made everything all better. You know, we, everybody can tell their own story of what we want to believe took place. But if we, if we can say, okay, look, we can acknowledge who was here before our ancestors got here. We can acknowledge the slave trade that was a part of what happened here. But, you know, those who look at America and say, well, the, the only issue with slavery is white American government owes black Americans, you know, money or, you know, whatever it is. Is, is completely missing the whole point of the story. And, and I'll give you an example of how incomplete that story is. The people who were sold into slavery were sold into slavery in countries outside of the United States and then transported to the United States and other countries around the world. This was not just like slavery happened here, began and ended here. I mean, it was happening in Britain, William Wilberforce with his abolitionist stance. Of course, you had African traders who were buying and selling their own people. Um, guys like John Newton, who was a slave trade uh, operator in terms of uh, uh, running a slave ship before he wrote Amazing Grace, oh, sweet the sound that save a wretch like me. And then at one point he was sold into slavery. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable to see how people get just their own little bit of American history accurate and forget about the other parts. It's a big old mess that's all moving in one direction. And the more we can understand all of the history, the easier it is to say, okay, now I don't have to rush to try to defend my little corner of the story. And I, I love the fact uh, Judge Boonstra's books are comprehensive. The first one is a, a, a mere 530 pages and the last one is 690. 
It's very, very comprehensive. These are well worth your while to read at home if you really like long history. But if you're a pastor, if you're an educator, whether it's in public school or private school, these are good resources to have. And I'm glad we're able to give them away today at 800-227-5278. We have a copy of all three volumes of uh, Judge Mark Boonstra's book in their own words. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, it's amazing to see what has been done in the name of the Constitution, in legality, with regard to enslaving people, with regard to marginalizing people, and the ultimate act of that, which is just letting them die on technicalities. Um, hundred plus years ago when Margaret Sanger started Planned Parenthood, if you read the original documents of that organization, for example, she did so basically to eliminate the feeble, as she described them, the non-desirable. So basically anybody with any sort of medical challenge or deformity or anybody who was African-American or you know, of a race that she did not approve of, this was the way to get rid of them. You know, remember, this is a time if someone was born with mental challenges where, where their sterilization was acceptable in this country. It was actually even legal. So those who hold on to the law and say, well, that's not constitutional or that's not legal, um, maybe might want to rethink that position. The abortion industry will always try to find a way to abort children. As we've seen over the past 10 years, it's hard to believe it's been almost 10 years since David DeLayden and the Center for Medical Progress released those first videos. Basically, the Planned Parenthood harvests and buys and sells baby body parts videos were just so mind-boggling. It was July, I believe, of 2015. To see like Deb Nucatola of Planned Parenthood Los Angeles over salads and you know white wine at lunch having a conversation about what kind of baby body parts they would harvest and how much they would get for them and the ways that they accounted for them. See, they never actually, quote-unquote, bought or sold the body parts. Instead, what they did was they would, outra- they would arrange these fees. The, the parts themselves were donated, you know, kind of like an organ donor card that maybe you've signed when you uh, wind up, you know, when your life on earth is through, if you have organs that are still worth having, <laughs> worth using, that they can actually transplant them into other people and, and prolong their earthly existence. It's a wonderful uh, thing to do. Um, we're going to get new bodies when, when the role is called up yonder anyway, so why not, right? Well, the idea that, um, you know, the abortion industry has been, you know, this is all about women. It's all about a woman's health, getting rid of the stigma and, uh, you know, shame on the culture for forcing women to have babies. And what was it even President Obama at one point talking about why he was a pro-abortion president? Said, look, if one of my daughters gets pregnant, I don't want her to be punished with that pregnancy. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't want to be punished with my grandchild. Well, And that seems to be the prevailing attitude. Even the professing Catholic Joe Biden, who's our 46th president of the United States, has spent the past several years denying the existence of his seventh grandchild. It's only been recently that the young girl called Navy, who is the product of an affair, extramarital affair between her father, Hunter Biden, and a young woman whose name I've forgotten because from what I understand, she used a pseudonym when she was working as a stripper or something like that. Um, They named the girl Navy and uh, mom went to court to allow her to use Biden as her last name. And her father, Hunter Biden, 
fought tooth and nail and was victorious in court to keep her from being able to use the family name. What more precious gift can a father give to his child than his name, than his legacy, than to say, you are part of this family? What is the, we love the sonship and daughtership that we have in the body of Christ, do we not? God gives us the spirit of what? He doesn't just give us money. He doesn't just give us possessions. He doesn't say, if you are my child, you're going to rule and reign with all sorts of money in heaven. It'll be of no worth to us there. What he does give us is his name. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is our brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all bear the image of the risen Christ, and we bear the name of Christ. And so why anybody who professed faith in Christ would say, I don't want to be punished for that kid. I don't want that legacy hanging around me. I've never understood that. So those who seek to end the life of an innocent child who did nothing to put themselves in that situation, not one blessed thing, find themselves in the crosshairs when mom says, I don't want to be pregnant because as our friends at the Charlotte Lozier Institute tell us, 97% of abortions that take place in the United States are elective abortions, which means mom said, I don't want to be pregnant. Let's kill the kid. 2% of the time, it's because mom's life is at risk. No, 2% of the time, it's because of rape or incest and there's an emotional uh, challenge that the mom says, I can't bear the thought of raising that child. Uh, sidebar to the mom in that situation, there are thousands of couples nationwide who would love to raise that child for you. And then 1% of the time, because of the advances in modern medical technology, 1% of the time, it's because mom's life is at risk. 1% of abortions are medically necessary because mom's life is at risk if she continues with the pregnancy. And at risk doesn't mean you're dead, by the way. It means there's a chance. But talk to the women that I have and that you know, I'm sure, who will say, the doctor told me my baby might have, take your pick, Down syndrome, clubbed foot, missing an arm, uh, speech impediment, whatever it is, and that I should abort. They didn't abort, and guess what? That child is perfectly healthy and happy and normal. Or perfectly built the way he or she is with different needs. Either way, if God gets what he wants, and he's sovereign, so he always gets what he wants, then we don't have to worry about that. But it's amazing how the number of states have been, and the abortion industry on the whole, has been working feverishly to get rid of the old-fashioned surgical abortion, which most laws are written to stop and moving into what they call a medical abortion. Let me change that for you. It's chemical abortion. Medical abortion involves the ingesting of two different abortion pills, one of which starves the baby to death. The second one um, then helps the body that thinks, hey, there's a baby in here. We got to keep the baby in here at all costs. Helps the body to say, eh, you don't need to carry the baby to term. So when the pandemic happened and a lot of abortion clinics got shut down and then when Roe versus Wade was overturned and surgical abortion was not legal in certain parts of the country, other parts of the country stepped up and said, aha, but there's the pill or there are the pills. And what if we made it so that a state where abortion is legal, the doctor could prescribe the pills and mail them to someone who lives in a state where it's not legal and therefore 
the prescription part's legal. The transportation of the pill is legal. So therefore, if you've got the pill, you can go ahead and take it. That, there's one state that actually had a heartbeat bill that was passed that lowered abortion by 50,000 and then saw an increase of medical abortions with the pill by 40,000 in the very same year. That was Texas. So enter our friends at the family, or excuse me, at the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and an organization called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine that took on the Food and Drug Administration and the FDA's decision that they would continue to mail abortion pills to women in states where abortion was illegal and see nothing wrong with doing so. The case went all the way to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. They usually do a good job of reading the Constitution, and they did on this one. We'll tell you why this is a victory coming up next as the bottom line continues. The Fed is not going to leave things the way they are. The Fed is going to start leveling off and then lowering down some in the next 12 to 18 months. So for you to have an account that's going to pay you 6% right now and guarantee that for the next three years, it is way better than the 4% for six months or the 5% for six months. So it's one of those things where it's not for every situation, but for every situation that it is for, it fits like a glove. And I know that's a play on words, but what we mean there is, is that if you have money in an account that's earning nothing, and you want to change that into to charitable work, you can do it. If you have money that's earning nothing in a pension plan and you want to help grow your pension plan without risk, you can do it. If you want to take it out of the bank and just provide you with additional income, <laughs> then you can do it. And we have we have dozens of clients on all of those different ladders that we just described. And so if that describes you, give us a call and we'll get you the free information. Call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Elections have consequences. Make sure you are registered to vote and make sure you do vote. Who you vote for for president determines who will be potentially uh, appointed to the Supreme Court. We've got a couple of justices who are old enough to retire and maybe walk in the plank sooner than later. Uh, we also have uh, the you know, on the state and local level, gubernatorial spots, city council spots, uh, state assemblies, state senators, uh, members of House and the Senate, of course. And um, I mentioned the aforementioned school board, city council, whatever. It's important that we have people of faith and of conscience and I believe of uh, uh, Christian convictions running for these positions. Um, you remember that during the start of the pandemic, which was a couple of years before Roe versus Wade was overturned, as there was concern about how the government was going to spin the, well, we need to close down certain buildings, but we need to keep the others open. So that's why <laughs> I'm chuckling here because that's why when my two bio kid, bio daughters and bio son and I chose the four of us went to get tattoos, we went to a tattoo parlor in Newport Beach that stayed open during the pandemic, didn't close. A lot of tattoo, I mean, tattoos weren't essential. But I asked the guy who was doing the tattoo, I have a, I have a cross with an olive branch uh, sweeping the bottom of the cross, the base of the cross, and then the verse from 3 John 4, I take no greater joy than knowing my children are walking in truth. That's the tattoo their dad has. They have other things that don't involve me, but this one involves them. So nonetheless, um, when I asked the guy who was doing the tattoo, I said, how come you guys were able to stay open? He said, well, here, it goes like this. You see, we had a medical exemption. I said, a medical exemption, no one needs a tattoo, right? I mean, it's purely subjective. And he said, well, um, the guy who runs this place does medical cosmetic uh, surgeries, 
And for people who did need a cosmetic surgery, he's got his license to stay open. And since he's the licensed guy who runs the shop, on a technicality, we got to stay open. And our business went through the roof because other people weren't getting to stay open. So there's a technicality. Someone is always looking for a technicality, a way around, you know. A workaround in this case was the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine took on the FDA because the FDA, under President Biden, basically unilaterally approved uh, giving states that performed abortions and were allowing the dispensing of abortion medication, as they call it, to distribute those pills in states where abortion was illegal. Now, never mind the fact that the FDA will say, well, we don't have to worry about these pills because the pills are perfectly safe. No one gets hurt. Uh, Dozens of women actually have, in fact, been killed taking these pills. Thousands others have found themselves sterile or going through severe emotional problems or bleeding as a result of taking these pills. It's interesting because um, chemical abortion drugs were allowed to be sent through the mail. Uh, The FDA started allowing that in 2021, even though that was a violation of longstanding federal law. It's interesting because the FDA really had to work hard to get the two-pronged medical abortion pill approved in the U.S. First, they used to call it chemical abortion. Then they changed it to medical because that makes it sound like it's necessary. The, uh, the pill, mifepristone, is a derivative of RU486, which was called the French, French abortion pill. And that's the pill when the baby is desiring progesterone, growing inside mom's womb, getting that nourishment from her. If you take away the progesterone, the baby won't survive. And that's what the first pill, the so-called abortion pill, uh, does, is it starves the baby to death. The second pill then makes it possible for mom to eliminate this. Uh, By the way, the FDA got approval during the Bill Clinton administration for this pill to be made available in the U.S., and they were able to get it with no patent. So whoever was manufacturing it could do it without having to pay any licensing to keep the cost low. You know how they did it, of course. We shared this with you on the bottom line a couple of months ago. The FDA actually recategorized pregnancy as an illness and RU486 as an emergency treatment for that illness. That's the way the FDA approved it. Remember when they wouldn't let you take uh, uh, Z-Packs or they wouldn't let you take uh, any of those uh, medications that have been approved for other things um, during the COVID pandemic? even though they were treating the COVID uh, virus. And the reason, well, it wasn't approved for this. Well, guess what? Mifepristone was never officially approved for uh, the purpose it's being used for, which is to kill a child. It was used as a treatment for a woman who had like morning sickness or something like that. (laughs) Well, this will eliminate the morning sickness, all right. Well, the Biden administration continued to let abortion clinics and abortionists mail out these pills. Here's how bad the situation had become. I use the example of Texas. August 2021, the Texas uh, Infant Heartbeat Protection Act was passed and enacted, went into law in September of 2021. And during the first full calendar year, it was in effect, the number of surgical abortions performed in the state of Texas and the number of, quote unquote, medical abortions went down by 50,000 in one year. And people in the pro-life community rejoiced. Sounds like a Monty Python movie. There was great rejoicing. However, 
during that same time, the number of chemical abortions and people getting the pill from out of state went up by 40,000. So 50,000 fewer abortions performed in Texas using surgical or other means, but 40,000 women got the pill from a different state where it was legal. So the net effect, the net impact of the Texas heartbeat bill was 10,000 fewer abortions. But basically, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court had to decide on whether or not the Food and Drug Administration was violating their own rules to pass out these pills by uh, the mail, and they did. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued their decision last week. They found that the FDA must restore critical safeguards for chemical abortion drugs. The appeals court commended the improper, or condemned rather, the improper FDA approval process for the drug and restored strict limits on the drug meant to protect women's health that the Biden administration removed so those pills could be distributed. Our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom are responsible for handling this legal case. Let's take a look at their involvement in it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition, reminding you to get registered to vote, and when the 2024 primaries show up, vote. Don't vote early and vote often, like Richard Daly famously said, of Democrat voters who would vote more than once with, you know, the names of dead people they were voting for. But your vote makes a difference, especially when it comes to either judges that you vote for, like Judge Mark Boonstra, a conservative guy in a blue state like Michigan, who was my guest earlier today here on the program, or for appeals courts like the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that ruled against the FDA, ruled in favor of a group called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. And basically saying, look, um, in loosening mifepristone, that's the first part of the uh, abortion pill, uh, in, in loosening their safety restrictions, the FDA failed to address several important concerns about whether the drug would be safe for women to use it. It failed to consider the cumulative effect of removing several important safeguards at the same time. It failed to consider whether those major and interrelated changes might affect the risk profile such that the agency should continue to mandate reporting of non-fatal adverse effects, events rather. And it failed to gather evidence that affirmatively showed that mifepristone could be used safely without being prescribed and dispensed in person. Alliance Defending Freedom handled the case and this is why I can't stress enough how important it is to support two organizations that support our program, 
Alliance Defending Freedom and Preborn. Alliance Defending Freedom takes a case like this mifepristone abortion medical pill, if you will, that's not safe, that the Biden administration rewrote law on and the judicial branch, Fifth Circuit Court in this case, judged against the executive branch for trying to legislate from the executive uh, position. Alliance Defending Freedom is an outstanding organization of faith-based, constitutionally-driven attorneys, more than 4,600 of them nationwide. And when you go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the banner for Alliance Defending Freedom, make a $50 monthly donation to ADF, and you will not regret it because we're going to keep seeing more cases like this. Just got an email from uh, our general manager, Don Crawford Jr. He says, this is getting ridiculous. It's almost weekly we're seeing these ADF victories, and this is another example. Uh, the other organization that you need to support is Preborn. This is an outstanding organization that specializes in putting um, ultrasound machines into uh, preborn healthcare centers where women have a chance to see the ultrasound images of their baby, get to figure out how far along they are or are not in the pregnancy, um, if there might be any potential problems, and then to be explained to them what their three options are. Option number one is fairly obvious. Congratulations, you're a mom. Option number two in states like California and Colorado and Michigan is you can legally abort the child. Option number three is adoption. And as we were talking yesterday about Planned Parenthood and the fact that Planned Parenthood does such a horrible job of the adoption option. But they say, oh, we, we give women comprehensive information and these unlicensed clinics, they're, they're, they're the ones who are lying. Well, guess what? 375,000 abortions at Planned Parenthood clinics last year versus 1,800 adoption referrals. You can do the math as to what their moneymaker is. Um, when you give a gift to Preborn, a $28 donation, which is completely tax deductible, gives a woman the opportunity to meet her child for the first time by seeing those baby pictures in the womb, and they are precious. Ultrasound, pregnancy test, and then the great consultation. 833-850-BABY uh, is the number to call to support Preborn. Join the thousands of people who listen to Crawford Broadcasting all across the country, who are helping save babies' lives through Freeborn. 833-850-2229 or click the banner at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and make your best donation there. The good news of the gospel is we acknowledge as Christians that all of our rights are given to us by God. We also know too that the only way we can stand before him is with our sins forgiven and washed away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe his sacrifice pays the penalty for your sin? If so, welcome to the family. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.